never forget why you are the church. As I was making this message, uh, it was for Sunday night. It was to finish God's Christmas list uh, tonight. But then I got to thinking um, that more need to hear this message. Uh, We're going to conclude the series that we have called God's Christmas list this morning. But we know that God desires us to live our lives in a holy manner. Amen? Amen? See, we know this because we are saints. That is the, the Holy One, meaning that he's, we are set apart for God's use. When, we are, when God calls us saints in his word, that means that we are to be holy and set apart for his purpose. The issue is we have watered down what it means to be a Christian. See, there is responsibility in being a Christian. There is expectation in being a Christian, See, we don't like responsibility nowadays. As a matter of fact, I have seen more and more as the time goes by that more of us, we try to shed any responsibility outside of the necessities in our life. We'll go to work, we'll clock in, we'll clock out, but don't ask me to do anything I don't want to do after that. And and listen, I can relate to that. Uh, I did not grow up with pets. Anyone like pets? That is a responsibility, amen? Amen. That is an expectation, amen? That's why I don't like them. There's responsibility there, right? Now, I do have a dog. She's very, you know, low maintenance. Her name is Charlie Ray Lanham. She does have a middle name, okay? Uh, I love that dog. That's the only dog I've ever loved, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and, you know, I guess that's the only dog I'll ever love ever because after she's gone, you know what I'm saying, brother? It's done. But anyway, but responsibility, expectation. We don't like these things. See, when you give someone a gift, think about it. Let's let's talk about it in the perspective that we're thinking about right now. When you give someone a gift, you expect them to use it. Amen? Uh, Just think about it. I give you a bike. What should you do with that bike? You should ride that bike. Uh, As a matter of fact, I got a bike. I don't know if it was for Christmas or birthday one year. Is it called a Diamondback bike? Is that that a brand, Diamondback? Yep. Yep. Well, you know, that's the one that gave it to me, so he definitely knows. But listen, I'll never forget, I, I was, dad was like, listen, if you're going to get this bike, it was, at that time, it was a very expensive bike, you know what I'm saying? He was like, look, if I'm going to invest in you, you better use this stinking bike. I said, I'll use it every day of my life, sir. And so, listen, I got the bike, and i never forget, I was like, I don't know how, I couldn't drive, or I don't know how old I was, but I would literally ride my bike from my parents' house, some of you know where that's at, all the way to Jimmy Floyd in the morning. Just ride, 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 right? And then I'd stay there all day, play basketball, all that kind of stuff, because, you know, I was homeschooled. We can't do what we want, you know what I'm saying? But either way, whatever. So listen, so, so I would ride my bike, and I'll never forget, man, I was using it, and I felt like there was a burden to use this bike. I wanted to be like, you know, I wanted to be the best player of basketball ever, so I heard that Michael Jordan rode his bike when he was a kid, so I was like, well, that must be the serum. That must be the formula to becoming the best, so I'm going to ride my bike, and it was a long, long trip, and I had to ride back. I remember one time my mom was passing by, and I said, Mama, Mama. She was like, oh, no, ride your bike. I was like, Mama, no. She, she turned around and picked me up. I'm her favorite, but anyway. But I'll never forget, and, and, and I mean, to the day, I've never been more embarrassed in my life. So I was right by David's Pizza. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, you got the thrift shop. You got all those all that stuff. And, man, I was thinking I was going to be so cool, I was going to jump the curb. And so I'm like, I'm like flying, you know what I'm saying? Because, like I said, I've been riding for like four days, you know what I'm saying, to get a dream floor. So, so I jump the curb, but I don't jump. So my body goes up, but the bike stays down. And I hit that curb. 
And anyone ever wrecked on a bike and that thing goes whoop, like that right there? So I hit that curb and it went into my stomach, into my spinal cord, and I literally just went and just fell head first into the uh, whatever it is, the sidewalk. I mean, cars were everywhere. You know what I did? I sat there for a second thinking I might just stay here for the rest of my life. This is embarrassing. And I said, I got up right here. I was hurting. I got up. <laughs> got on my bike and just kept on riding. But listen, hey, when you get a gift, you are expected to use that gift. Or when you give a gift, you're expecting the one that you give that gift. For example, if I give you a set of Legos, what you should you do? You should build something with them, right? Uh, if I give you a gift card, what are you going to do? You're going to spend that gift card. But then there are those gifts that are meant to be more sentimental. Uh, the ones that we might hang on the wall or put on the, 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 the mantle or the shelf. And we love them. We, we enjoy them. They make our heart warm, but we don't use them. And in not using them, oftentimes we forget about them until we are reminded of them. Is anyone understanding what I'm saying this morning? Don't miss me here. God's gift of salvation is a gift that is active. It is to be utilized. It is not a sentimental, nostalgic gift. It is a gift that we have been given to use. And it comes with a new nature, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It comes with gifts of grace, and they are meant to be utilized for his purpose. The church, however, or at least a good percentage of us, have turned salvation sentimental. It's something with our Bible that we put on the bedside. It's something that we, that we might every now and again get reminded of Jesus on Facebook and we'll like a post that has a scripture. It's something that every now, oh, well, it's Saturday night. We might have to start thinking about the Lord now, so let's go uh, figure out what we're going to wear tomorrow. It, it, it's a sentimental only when we're reminded kind of gift to some people. We have, we, have, we have to be reminded on a Sunday that we are saved and gifted for a purpose. Do you see a problem there? We better get to living for God, church. I want you to understand something. The, the greatest tragedy is, is wasted time. We've already looked at two things that God desires from us, and speaking of time, in no particular order, but God desires our time. Everyone turn to Luke chapter 1. I'll turn there with you. Luke chapter 1. We're not going to read as much as the last time, but we're going to read some scripture this morning. That's okay with y'all. If it's not okay with y'all, that's unfortunate. Luke chapter 1. Let's see. Man, y'all are fast. All right. When you're there, say, I'm there. All right. In verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is, a, is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. <clears throat> and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind, sorry, <clears throat> what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give him unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. If God desires something from us, it's our time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for those that are here this morning. 
God, I pray that you allow me to preach this with liberty, power, and clarity, God. Those that have ears to hear, may they hear. God, I pray that there's somebody here this morning that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray today through the preaching of the gospel that they may be saved. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God desires our time. Mary had plans. Listen, we, we sit there and act like Mary is just waiting for God to use her somehow. The way we look at this and how we read it every year, we, think, we don't put any humanity on Mary. Mary was a human being. Mary had plans. Uh, she was going to get married to Joseph, a good and decent husband, have a family, live a life just like everyone else. But God had a purpose for her. Church, when you receive salvation, you clocked out of your own life and you clocked into living your life through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not the, li the life that you live now as a born-again believer is not your own, but it has been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with it. Everything we now do stems from our relationship with Christ. Do not allow yourself to think of your time as your own. I'll tell you what, Sunday morning, I think it's, uh, one of my brothers said it, a Saturday night decision to get up and go to church may be a lot easier if we realize that we are the church on Saturday. But see, if we look at church as a location, if we look at church as a building, if we look at church as a program or, or, or just a, a certain gathering, what, what will happen is we'll start saying, well, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for this. But if we live as we ought to live as the church the moment that we wake up in the morning, this is just in a continuation of what we've been doing, just corporately. God also desires us to be steadfast. In Luke chapter 2, we are introduced to a, to a man named Simeon. <clears throat> The Bible says the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die until he saw Jesus. Could you imagine the Holy Spirit telling you, you're not going to die until you see Jesus, the Christ child? Well, how did he wait? Well, a lot of us might have gotten lazy. A lot of us might have said, well, you know what? Hey, until I see him, I don't have to worry about nothing, so I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That's not what Simeon did, though. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, this is what it says right here. It says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. So he was waiting, he was just, he was devout, and then finally he met Jesus. We were also introduced to Anna. <clears throat> she was steadfast in her service to the Lord, and she saw Jesus too. What was her response? Well, in verse 38 of the same uh, chapter, and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. You know what I love about both these, especially Anna? Anna, the moment she saw Jesus, could not stop sharing him. The moment she saw the consolation, the moment she saw redemption, she had to go out and tell everybody about it. Church, you do realize that we should still be able to look back at our conversion. And, and, and if we are colder or if we are further from God than we were then, we need to repent and get back right with the Lord. I, I believe it was Dr. Adrian Rogers that said, you're either a soul winner or you're backslidden. We are to be steadfast. That is firm in our convictions as we await the Lord Jesus. I pray we see him. Amen. Listen, if we taste death, death as saints, it'll just be for a moment. And the moment we open our eyes, we'll see Jesus. But I pray that we all, all of us right here, I pray we all get to see Jesus together when he calls us home. Mm, that's good stuff. We ought to be steadfast. Look at verse Corinthians right here. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, firm, living off your convictions through God's word, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
Have you ever been working on something? Like trying to fix it? No? Then we're kinfolk because I don't do that either, right? I call someone in. But no, if you're working on something, right, and if you're like me, I get irritated very easy. I have a very short uh, temper when it comes to fixing something, okay? That's why I have people in, and I'll, I'll feed you, I'll help you, you know what I'm saying? But, like, you know, I'm not the guy. But the few times that I have tried to fix something, you know, it's very easy to quit on something that you deem unimportant. Oh, it doesn't matter. It can be fixed tomorrow. Well, it doesn't matter. I'll just wait until someone, get, until someone else can come in and fix it. It, it doesn't matter. I'll just, I'll just wait. You know, I, I just need to calm down right now. If it's unimportant, then it, that doesn't matter. But if you deem it important, what are you going to do? You better fix it. For example, there was one time uh, my wife called me. She said, that, she said the, 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 the words that no husband wants to hear, there's no hot water. I was like, well, that's okay. You know, they said the cold plunge is pretty, pretty uh, healthy, so just, you know, do your thing, girl. She said, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. So guess what I had to do? I had to fix that thing. And there was no waiting until tomorrow. There was no waiting until the next day. There was making the phone calls I had to get to get someone to come and fix it. Why? Because it was important. Church, listen, as we work for the Lord, those who quit obviously don't see the work of the Lord as important. But if you see it as what it is, hear me, there should be no quit in us, knowing just how important it is. We are to be steadfast. So what is the third thing God desires? That was all review, so I appreciate it. If you, if you come on Sunday night, you, wouldn't, you would know exactly what we were talking about. But for those that don't, you're welcome, okay? I just caught you up the last two weeks. But what does God desire of us even more? Well, we learn also from the Christmas story that God desires our adoration. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. God desires our adoration. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. All right. Does anyone know a, a way to make your, your ears grow bigger? Because that's, that's a problem here. <laughs> okay. Y'all are so awkward. All right. Matthew chapter 2. <laughs> We're going to read verses 1 through 12. If you there, say read. <clears throat> now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born of the king, born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. If you do underline in your Bible, maybe you don't, but I want you to underline or highlight, we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them, where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the, art not the, least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, of course he didn't like that, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently that what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring the word, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went over before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. You can underline that too. 
And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him uh, unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. What is adoration? Well, we sing it every Christmas. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. What does that even mean? We sing it. It's a carol, right? We hear it on K-Love. But what does it actually mean? Well, adoration, by definition, is the act of rendering divine honors. The Jewish form of adoration was by prostration, bowing and kneeling before who they were adoring. As a matter of fact, we see that in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Adoration is the act of worship. Worship and adoration go hand in hand. If you have an issue worshiping, it's because you have no adoration for God. When is the last time you fell down and worshiped? When is the last time that we actually worshiped him in spirit and truly understanding in adoration of the Lord worshiped him? So the question is, why do we worship? Why should we adore him? Why is this so important? I have a book here. It's A.W. Tozer. It's called, it's literally called Worship. And I want to read a little part of it for you. It says, it certainly is true that hardly anything is missing from our churches these days. What he means by that is, man, we have all the programs. We have all the facilities. We have all the, all the luxuries uh, of the church today. We ha- I mean, listen, I was at a church uh, uh, just the other day. Man, it was like I'm talking about they had, every, they had disc golf. They had, they had basketball. They had all the stuff. And listen, all that stuff is great. All that stuff is good. I really appreciate it. it was, I, was, I told the guy, I was, I was like, man, this is my place, man. This is like heaven right here. It's a church that has everything I need. You know what I'm saying? But, but what is missing? Well, it is certainly true that hardly anything is missing from our churches these days except the most important thing. We are missing the genuine and sacred offering of ourselves and our worship to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If there's something missing in church today, it is genuine, sacred worship of the King. See, understand the reason why we worship, we're going we're to break this down. We have to acknowledge some things about the Lord. First off, we worship the Lord, because he is our maker. He made us. Look at, look at uh, Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 96, uh, 95, verse 6. It says this, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us, kneel, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. To really understand this psalm, known as an enthronement psalm, we have to read more. So let's read more of it right here. And starting in verse 1 in Psalm 95, it says this, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. We continue in verse 5, the sea is his and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, 
and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I just want you to understand something. Do you believe the Bible to be true? Do you believe that it is divinely written? It is inerrant. It is incorruptible. It is everlasting. It is the word of God. That should render our worship immediately. Just reading that, should, should, the response to that should be amen, and that amen should come out as adoration to the Lord. The Lord is the great king above all other false gods of this world. He is the king of kings and lord of lords, but he is also our creator. He made us. He fashioned us in his image. It's the only, out of all creation, we're the only ones that can claim that. That's pretty special. Out of all the creation, we are his most precious creation. So that being the case, why? Why did God create us in his image? Well, let's go back to the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. God, even creation brings adoration. This, in Psalm 19.1, it says this, even creation, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Let's move on to the next one. Psalm 96, 12, let the field be joyful and all that is therein. That, then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. Before we go any further, can you imagine being out worshiped by a field? Some, some of y'all are like, yeah, yeah, every Sunday. <laughs> Seriously, I, like, we're laughing about that, but for real, the Bible says, let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. Let's move on to the next one. Psalm 98, let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together. Now that's creation. That's not even talking about us. That's not even talking about the most prized creation that he's created in his image, us, man and woman. That's, 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 that's talking about fields and trees. Now, hey, listen, all of creation is beautiful. All of creation is, is wonderful. All of creation is important and, and made by God. But if the field worships, if the trees rejoice, if the waves clap their hands, you say, well, that's just undignified. They don't know it. They just know who created them. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to start preaching. But what about us? In the garden, Adam and Eve had an intimate fellowship with God. We can draw this from Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, when it says this right here, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. See, it must have been normal to walk and talk with the Lord. We see in verse 8, they hid themselves this time, though. Why? Because sin had broken that relationship. You know why many people do not adore the Lord like they should? You know why many people, and listen, hey, I don't care what you say about it. I honestly don't. Because we see in the garden that there was intimate relationship, walking and talking, and then there was hiding. That's, that, that's the two polar opposites right there. Could you imagine? Now, I'm not saying this happened, but, but it did say that the, the, the trees rejoiced. Could you imagine him hiding behind a tree and the tree going, Adam, what are you doing, bro? God's right over here. Go say hi. I mean, think about it. Could you imagine the conviction that that would bring? Any, now, listen, that, that's not in God's word. Don't sit there and be like, well, preacher, I don't understand where that is. That's in First Opinions chapter 3, okay? All right? Don't, don't come at me with that. I'm just saying. But sin had broken that relationship. But the reason why we come in here with a sour face, the reason why we come in here 
refusing to clap our hands. And I'm not, I'm not saying you can't worship without doing that. But if, I'm, if, 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 the, if the wave is doing it, if the fields are doing it, if the trees are doing it, if the hills are doing it, hey, you know, so, so shall we. That's all I'm going to say. But if we refuse to do that and we sit there and, we, and we're singing about the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that he came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again a third day, and is going to come back and get us, and we just sit there all sour-faced and just irritated at the world, there's something wrong. I'll tell you what's wrong. There's sin in your life. Now, I'm not saying you're going out partying. I'm not saying you're going, listen, hey, it's the littlest sin that can break our fellowship. It's the littlest sin that can have us come in here with corporate worship and, and, and what we would call, well, I'm just not in the mood. What? You were not saved for your moods. You were saved for your eternity. You want to worship? You want your worship to be hindered? Allow sin into your life. That's why forgiveness is so sweet. It brings us back to worship. Can I tell you something? Some of the closest times I feel with the Lord is right after repenting. Right after that I have acknowledged that I've done wrong. Right after I have acknowledged that this sin is against you, God. Lord, would you forgive me? The Bible says that you would. The Bible says that you would cleanse me, God. God, do that right now, Lord. And when he does, man, I feel so close to him. But why? He is our creator. If we don't worship, the Bible even says, Jesus said this himself, the rocks will cry out. You say, well, where does he say that? Well, look at Luke 19. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. I kind of wish just, just for us that they would just kept their peace just so we could have seen it. You know what I'm saying? But listen, hey, let me ask you about your worship. Because listen, you're, you're created by the same uh, creator that created the disciples and the Pharisees. Which side are you on there? Are you the ones rejoicing with a loud noise? Or are we the Pharisees that point and say, you're, you're too loud? Why are, you, why, why, why are you praising him like that? Hey, we're in church. Hush. He's our creator. But that's not the only reason. Yes, we worship because he's our maker, but also we worship him because he's our keeper. See, since God is our maker, he also keeps those who are his. Jesus teaches us this in John chapter 10. Look at John chapter 10. Uh, it's in two slides, there you go. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. If there is anything you can count on in this life, living in this world, let me tell you from personal experience, it is to be disappointed. You thought I was going somewhere else with that, huh? I know you did. We'll get there here in a second. But it's to be disappointed. Listen, if you've been disappointed, raise your hand. Just before in general, we all have. That's part of living life here. It doesn't take long to realize that life is but a vapor. It doesn't take long to realize people will let you down. What we believe to be stable in our lives can quickly be revealed as shifting sands. Ask Job. 
No doubt he thought that he was all good, and, and, and really, if you read about him, he was definitely all good. I mean, he was wealthy. He had, a, he had a bunch of children. He had a bunch of livestock. He had a bunch of land. He had, a, he had good health. Everything was going so good for Job until it wasn't, and he lost everything. In the, darkness, in the, in the darkest time of his life, what did Job do? Well, look at Job chapter 1. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. <laughs> we see another man of God, another, another believer, falling down and worshiping the Lord and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return hither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hmm. Job realized God's hand had not left him. Therefore, he worshiped the Lord. Church, do not think when bad things happen, it means God has left. God will never leave his children. And, and listen, we can, we can go off of that in our own lives. Even if our children are away, we keep tabs. Even, even, listen, I have young kids. They got almost a four-year-old and a 16, 17-month-old little one. I don't know how old she is, but we're still saying months, so she's not two yet. You know what I'm saying? But either way, hey, listen, hey, they, 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 they can be far, but I know where they're at, right? They, they, can, they can be here or there, but, but I'm going to check on them. I'm not going to leave them. It doesn't matter what they do. I'm not going to leave them or forsake them. Why? Because I am their father, therefore I'm going to keep them. But in the end, God restored Job. The Bible says the Lord gave uh, back twice as much as what he had. God keeps us. So many have asked the question, does God really care about me? Is he really there? Well, Psalm 121 says this. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. That word preserve means to keep. It means to guard, to observe, to give heed. Let me answer that question. Does God really care about me? Is he really there? Yes. God is there, and yes, God cares about you. He is our maker. He is our keeper, and praise God, we worship him because he is our Savior. You remember how we talked about him keeping us? Well, how no one is able to pluck us out of his hand. Do you know how that came to be? Do you know who can claim that scripture? Not everybody. Now, there's going to be some churches and some preachers that are preach, well, no one can be plucked out of God's hand. No, 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 no. You have to be in God's hand to not be able to be plucked out of God's hand. But God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. This was decided before the foundation of the world that those who would believe on him would be adopted by Jesus Christ. This was a mystery. Now, because of the gospel, now because of this gift called the Bible, it's plainly known. And with the Savior comes blessing, blessings in heavenly places. If you would, look at Ephesians chapter 1. I have it on the screen. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession 
unto the praise of his glory. Church, the Father keeps those who are saved, and the Savior is Jesus Christ. One of my favorite scriptures in 1 Peter tells us that when we are saved, we are his. That means that we have a reservation in heaven and that that is kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. I know there are people there that literally live their life thinking that any moment they could lose their salvation. I don't know how they read scripture and render that. See, when I read scripture, a reservation, listen, hey, well, you can lose a reservation, not if it's kept by the power of God. What can we do to be more powerful than the power of God? Nothing. Nothing. He keeps us because he saved us. So when they saw the child in Luke chapter 2, they fell down and they worshiped. They didn't worship Mary. They didn't worship Joseph. They didn't, they didn't worship any, they didn't worship the, the scene. They didn't worship the idea. They worshiped Jesus. They offered and presented him with treasure and gifts. Why? Because he is the Savior. And the Savior is to be worshipped. God desires our adoration. He deserves our adoration. Church, how is your worship? Do you come to church excited to sing praises unto the Lord? Well, do you come to church and think, man, I can't wait till we get through worship to get to the work? Man, I, I just hope they play a song that I like and know. Man, I, ho- I, hope we, I hope we don't have too long of worship. I got things to do, places to be, people to see. Again, you don't have to sway back and forth or raise your hand or kneel or at the altar to worship. But you ought not refuse to. Hear me. Pride will never allow for worship. Ever. And worship will never allow for pride. So when you truly worship, it is an act of adoration to the one who made you, who keeps you, and who saved you. A lack of of worship shows a lack of relationship or understanding. Only two options. Which one is it? Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read this last one, then we'll move on. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself And became obedient unto death, even a death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know how I said that God desires our adoration and God deserves our adoration? Let me tell you something. God is going to demand our adoration. Church, may we be a people that doesn't have to be demanded to worship. One of my biggest pet, and, and listen, first off, worship, corporate, that's just one part of our worship. Giving is a part. Sacrificial living is a part. But understand this, listen, 
We wouldn't have a problem with corporate worship if individually we were, we were worshiping throughout the entire week. One of my biggest pet peeves, and I'm a worship leader. I've done that longer than I've preached. But I can tell you this, is when a singer has to get up there and we're singing about Jesus, and they stand there and have to poke and prod and plead and beg and come on, just stand and lift your hands. And, and aren't you excited about Jesus? And, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, we must be a sight of a people that are called according to his name, called according to his purpose, to where someone has to sit there and look at us and think they don't want to worship. God help us. God help us. He made you. He keeps you because he saved you. And his name is worthy to be worshipped. But heads bowed and eyes closed all over this place.